Hello, Hannah. Hey, Evan. So the Questlandia reprint and update Kickstarter has ended. Yep. And I think it went pretty well. Me too. You want to talk about that today? Yeah. So today we are going to do a an episode that is not like challenge focused. Going to talk about <sighs> positive things. Yeah. Well, not just not like positive necessarily but positive or negative positive. <laughs> <laughs> uh a lot of our recent episodes have talked about stuff like making money in games and some of the difficulties of making a living in this space and self-comparison and stuff like that and that's just not we're just not like we are happy right now mm-hmm. wanted to take the time to talk about what's going well and if there is a challenge that's being confronted in this episode, it's the challenge of seeing and appreciating what is going well. Yeah. When you're, you know, in a complicated life. Yep. That has ups and downs. As most do, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not all of them. I mean, I guess Jeff Bezos probably, like, feels like his life is complicated. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my sister said the other day that Jeff Bezos is living in a post-money world. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. That's not what this episode is about. I was like, we're not going to talk about money this time. But <laughs> I did just want to, like, say, like, a post-money world. Uh, but it probably comes with its own stresses, too. It's like maybe he's stressed about relationships. But he could really buy anything. I don't know if I can get completely down with describing it as a post-money world. Yeah. I think only in the realm of, like, satisfying needs and desires is it post-money. But there's these other realms of, like, influencing others and exerting control where it's still very much in a money realm. I Oh, yeah. You okay, I, mean? I hear. I guess it's like a post-money world in terms of just, like, having to... Money being relevant for like covering any possible basic need. That's right. Yeah. But um, this episode is not actually about Jeff. Our Bezos. Kickstarter did not quite reach <laughs> it that didn't level. Quite reach that level. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is true. Uh, okay, so we are going to start by talking about some of the things that we feel good about right now. So to start, let's just talk about how that Kickstarter went. That Kickstarter we just did. So where did the Questlandia updated edition Kickstarter end? Just a hair over $21,000. $21,039. Got to credit that person who got the book and, and add-on. Yeah, they deserve uh, it. <laughs> so, I mean, in our last episode, we talked about sort of like honest like an honest conversation about money and expectations around a Kickstarter. And I can't remember what we said our sort of like happy number is. Like, here's where we'll feel like we haven't failed. Here's where we will feel like we've succeeded. I think we put that roughly in the like 18 to 24 range. Okay, that's what I thought it was yeah. too. 
Uh, so this puts us there, right? Like halfway between we are that. contractually obliged to, <laughs> to be, be happy. happy. <laughs> yeah. And I feel happy. <laughs> That's I feel great. happy. Yeah. So another theme of the last episode was that numbers hide everything. Mm-hmm. So that 21K, you know, it's actually full of questions of like, where does that come from? Where is it going? Where I'm not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no cotton edge on that. You just saw my eyes widen. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> you know, whenever I intake a breath that I'm about to sing cotton edge <laughs> All right. Um, so. Some of our previous Kickstarter totals have involved a lot of that money going to shipping, to fees, to costs of materials, and we've priced things at a level where there hasn't been that much left over to pay us. Yeah. And then there's the size of the project. So like whatever is left over to pay us, how many months of work is that expected to cover? And for previous games, that's often been close to a year of work. Yeah. So with this Kickstarter, I feel like we've done a better job researching our prices, setting our price points, and having a reasonable amount of work on our plates. So for what the that total is hiding, I think it's actually hiding a very healthy situation. Yeah. <laughs> if there's something you're going to be hiding, it's always better for it to be a healthy situation. I know. It's our secret healthy situation. <laughs> you just peel back the layers and there's just a healthy situation underneath. So that feels good. It feels to me like this is going to be our most successful Kickstarter for actually addressing those costs and needs. Yeah. And I mean, another thing that we wrote was that it's also just been a really positive Kickstarter, like, uh, but not just positive, like chill and positive. Like, I feel like there's some big, big Kickstarters or a scale in which it's bringing a lot of enthusiasm, like a lot of rabid enthusiasm. Yeah. It did not bring that. Like, we just. There's a smidge of it. A smidge of rapidity. A couple, couple, like, frothy. (laughs) Frothy. Frothy Questlandia lovers. <laughs> yeah. Which I was guess great. So. Yeah. I mean, it definitely brought in some new folks, which is awesome. But, you know, for the most part, I think it was, it proved to us that, like, most questions that people would have that they may come to the comments with sort of skeptically, we answered, like, without them having to ask it. Like, the right. information was there on the page. It was really clear. The scope of what we were doing was clear. Uh, and for the questions that we did get, you know, questions like, can you ship the game locally? Like, I live, you know, a few towns away. Can, like, what is this going to come in? Like, is the Play Kit edition going to come in a nice custom box? Like, we were able to say no mm-hmm. unguiltily because this has been about setting those guidelines for ourselves that will make this work. Right. And just to be clear on that. One one little point. Oh, yeah. We didn't say no to shipping the game locally. We oh, will ship yeah. it locally. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Hand delivery. Yeah. Uh, and, which is just like it's these little things that we've learned over time where it, it, it sucks to disappoint somebody or to not be able to do something like that. But it starts to like 
every time we add something that gets out of the normal flow of fulfilling a Kickstarter, it ends up being like a massive amount of work and usually prone to errors. Right. Uh, and we're just trying to avoid that this time. I think even the structure of the Kickstarter, meaning no stretch goals and no just sort of like no grand promises. All of that was sort of setting boundaries for the scope and kind of effort that would be that we will be putting into fulfilling this. I think it's good boundary setting. I think it's like it's kept the work feeling reasonable, very doable. Yeah. So clap on the back. Clap on the bags. You know, I remember this experience from all of our past Kickstarters where whenever I'd get a notification that there was a comment, my heart would always start pounding yeah. because generally the comment was like kind of negative. Yep. It would be challenging like the way that we'd presented something or our s skills or I don't know, questioning or I I don't know. They were always just kind of negative and like my heart would just start thumping. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it was like the same. There would be like certain trends that would emerge in like negativity too, where it's just like, it's like somebody would sort of seed the well with right. a little poison and then it would turn the whole thing sour. And uh, this is the first Kickstarter where my heart leveled out when I saw a comment notification. Um and I don't think that's just because they were all generally positive. I think it's also because we've just had years of experience now of not letting those possible sort of acerbic ones push us around. Right. That's a really nice place to be. And I would be lying if I said they didn't still get to me. Like, I hate, it's hard, I hate answering upset sit shit sit situations <laughs> i'm trying to not mark an, an episode explicit for once <laughs> upset situations i feel like it's worth mentioning too that it's like that level of familiarity with kickstarter moods also helped us weather the classic kickstarter roller coaster where you have a rush of attention in the first few days, and then it dries up and you find yourself like in chemical withdrawal from oh, yeah. the excitement and flurry of attention. And suddenly you really, really, really want to get that back and you want more people to show up to your Kickstarter. You start to doubt whether what you're doing is a success. Right. You think those middle, like, that middle dip. What else could we promise to get those numbers back? And we weathered that. And it's like, it's like, it's still, those feelings all still came up for me. But like, there was also a sense of like, but this is just how it goes. And it'll be okay. And it's okay for things to slow down. Yeah. It's okay to not feel like you're riding the high. It's okay to just feel like level. Right. <laughs> even slightly disappointed or something and, and to weather that. One more nice thing about the Questlandia Kickstarter is the work we put in beforehand to make sure that this was a project that we were excited about and that like felt in line with our goals for what we want to work on and what we want to make, which was not a given. We've talked about this before in the podcast, but we had some time bouncing back and forth between 
Do we want a straightforward reprint of Questlandia as it is, which is the lowest effort, simplest kind of Kickstarter? Do we want this to basically be part one of Questlandia 2? Do we want it to be a very transformed game, which to some extent is more in line with what excites us? And we had a lot of conversations to get to a middle point where it was a version of Questlandia 1 that was still true to the original, still its own game, separate from the sequel, but revitalized into something that we would be excited to work on and proud to make. Does that all sound true to you? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think about it's weird to feel like on the other side of those conversations because I feel like in some ways it's something we've been talking about for years because Questlandia one I mean it it like precipitated this entire podcast was this idea of Questlandia, the original game, being replaced by Questlandia two. Right. And so it's really been kind of years of conversations of like whether that's going to happen and what that is going to look like and at least for Questlandia 1 those questions are answered now still have a lot of questions about Questlandia 2 will it even be called Questlandia I don't know how what it's confusing branding I think we'll find out yeah um but to know that, the, that some of those questions were answered after months of conversations and like we went back and forth a lot. And at one point, I almost even convinced you to do this like sort of part one, part two of Questlandia 2. Like, oh, this yeah, is, yeah. Uh, and I'm glad that I that you unconvinced me or we unconvinced <laughs> somehow, somehow, somehow that changed. And I'm I'm really happy with what we ended up doing. It just feels like the work is going to really end up matching what we made. And I like that this is staying true to a goal we set when we were first coming up with Turtle Bun and like this next era of making games, which was a promise to hold our like personal relationship to what we're making as the highest consideration for what we do. And, you know specifically over money-making potential, right? Like, chasing dollars is a part of work, but that can't be the compass that makes you decide what you're going to work on. Like, that's got to come from some kind of internal care and love for what you're going to make. And yeah. I held true to it, and that's I awesome. Mean, and I guess I want to, like, just add, like, I feel like it has to come from some internal care and love for the thing you're going to make for this choice that we've made to do this kind of work. Like, I don't, that's not a given in all jobs. Like, we've, oh, sure. we've made this sort of explicit choice to chase some creative dreams and to try to make this work sustainable. And part of making this choice is like, uh, I don't know, trying to chase the things that feel good and that we're excited about, even if sometimes they're a little bit niche hoping that the rest will sort of follow. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like for the work we're doing, that's important partly because we don't have a compartmentalized piece of work to do. Like, it's not like we're just doing the layout for a project. Like, we have to do all the work in all the different zones that it takes to bring something to completion. And that involves weathering a lot of kinds of work 
that are really difficult or unpleasant. And it's like, those are the times you need to care about what you're making to get you through it. Yeah, that's a great point. It's like a lot of the work already doesn't feel that fun. <laughs> right. Which I think is what makes it hard. I mean, it, what's, it is what makes it easy to want to jump from project to project and not finish anything is the work pretty quickly can start to feel sort of unfun. And it feels like you got tricked by right. the by like this creative fairy. So that means we've ended up with a project on our plate that is actually exciting, that I'm actually looking forward to. And that's really nice. It makes me feel good about the months ahead. Yeah. So one of the things for me in like a challenge that I find myself facing frequently is that I feel like more and more, and I think Twitter is a huge part of this, I find myself designing games for like my imagined version of other designers instead of for the people who are actually enjoying and playing our games. Yeah. I'm like designing as if there's somebody that I want to impress or I don't know, impress or like exceed uh, uh -huh. and succeed, <laughs> succeed. <laughs> um, and you know, it comes from it comes from envy sometimes. It comes from my own sort of like it comes from imposter syndrome or not feeling like the stuff that I'm working on is being recognized in the way that I want it to be. Like, oh, why not? It comes from the fact that we're so often cited on lists. And I, I if you if anybody listening does these kind of tweets, I know they come from a good place, but please stop doing lists of people or games that deserve more recognition mm -hmm. it is like a real backhanded compliment mm -hmm. um i i never enjoy being on those lists and whenever <laughs> i get tagged in when people are just like questlandia is a game that nobody cares about and they should like i just like like it feels like somebody walking up and giving me giving me like a, a soft wet slap in the face <laughs> like a, a real like, like weak, sticker on it yeah like a real weak wristed <laughs> slap um like it doesn't quite hurt but it still shocks me out of what i was doing and it's a little annoying <laughs> um so you know but like that that kind of stuff too like it's it creates this world in which like we are all striving for the same thing and i don't think we have to be like that's not i don't want to be competing to have the most recognized or beloved game i just want to be happy with the games that we've made and how we made them and like the people who are there appreciating them so one of my goals thinking positively over the next few months is going to be to like remind myself who we are making games for and to be focusing on those people instead of like these imagined giants. Yeah. I feel like there's like an illusion of a community <laughs> uh, that comes with like the indie RPG Twitter sphere. When I say it's an illusion, I don't mean like there's nothing there. It's all fake. But the illusionary part is that it's actually just a very small proportion of the people that you reach with your games. And it can feel like it's the whole thing. And also, part of the illusion is like, there might be some community aspects to it, but there's a lot missing there <laughs> compared to an actual community. Like... 
this is not the community that you need to impress to, you know, have your worth recognized and be taken care of into your old age. Like, that's not the <laughs> roles that they'll perform for anyone, you know? Yeah. They can perform some of the real basic feelings of just, like, being valued by peers, which is great. But if that's the only source of community that you're reaching for, it's gonna you're going to end up with a hollow prize. Yeah. So just trying to ask myself more often, like, who am I doing this for? Right. Who am I doing this for? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, who am I doing anything for? It's always kind of interesting to me, too, when sometimes I'll, like, talk to somebody in my life who has backed a role-playing game Kickstarter who's not in this sphere. And, you know, the other day, like, my friend Joe was like, oh, yeah, I backed Avatar because I like Avatar. He's never played a role-playing game. I think he play-tested one of our games like a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, and that's not... This is probably actually the worst example I could be giving because obviously that there is a certain point where an IP is just like big enough that it reaches a new audience in uh -huh. the way that Questlandia wouldn't necessarily. But I don't know. I want to be... Uh, it's, it's you know, QuickBooks guy. <laughs> well, we, we got <laughs> we like a nice message again from again. somebody on our Kickstarter. Oh, Yeah. Who was just like, this seems cool. It looks pretty. I don't know what a role-playing game is. Yeah. Do I need, what, what do I need to actually play this, you know? Yeah, the person asked, like, if they needed to back at the really high level. Right. And we were like, no, it's the book and, like, these pieces that you can buy or may have in another game. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's awesome. So something that I feel really happy about with Turtle Bun in general is the sort of meta work of how we've been looking at setting up our work days and deciding what Turtle Bun is and like what that work looks like. And part of that I feel like has been us just deciding like this should be work that supports the kind of lives that we want to live. Sometimes the way we put it is like, what if this was like a great job with great benefits. <laughs> yeah. Other times we just put it like a, we just, we just sort of reassert that part of the goal of this work is that we have fulfilling good lives. And like, if a work day needs to change to accommodate that, it'll change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have changed our work days. Like a few is like, we're, we're sort of constantly tweaking the, the system and the, the routine of our work day. Mm -hmm. One part of the days that I've really liked is the emphasis on taking walks and like getting out to see a little bit of nature and notice the world around us, which has been healthy for me because like, if I don't have a habit of that, whole seasons can pass without me feeling like I've seen them happen. Where it's yeah. like, was there a summer? Who knows? <laughs> but like... Actually taking the time to, like, get out there and feel the changing days. It's been really nice. Yeah, walks have been a big part of our day. And we'll often walk and talk, you know, if we're, like, really stuck on something, uh, like, stuck on if we're talking about whether we want to do this updated reprint of Questlandia or do, like, this big overhaul that's more similar to Questlandia 2, we'll walk and talk about it 
You know, it's like we haven't we haven't revisited Starship Ultralux for a while. We'll like take our walk and talk about it and, you know, usually not take any notes. Um, so am I right in remembering that you had mentioned, I think, reading somewhere that there's like a kind of hubris in the idea that you can change your mind and have different thoughts without also moving your body? The idea of just mm-hmm. like sitting in one place. Just being like, now I have a different mindset. <laughs> oh, you know, I don't think that was me. I, I forget where I picked that up. Okay. But I really love that idea that it's like, that like moving your mind takes moving your body too. That it's like, this is all a connected system. And that's kind of borne out for us, like feeling stuck, deciding to take a walk and like talking while walking it out and like getting new perspectives, arriving somewhere new. I mean, those are just words. I don't know how true they are, but it's it seems like it's been the case for us. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it can play out in other ways too, like working here in a house versus going into a coffee shop or the library or sometimes even just moving rooms. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Similar to acknowledging the changing seasons. I mean, part of that is also like, I feel like in, like, modern Western society also, like, unless you work in agriculture, I just don't think we give enough respect to, like, the changing of the seasons and how much that impacts bodies and minds. Like, I'm cold, you know, right now I'm sitting here and, like, my hands are cold and my hands are usually cold and it it changes the type of work that i do and like my level of comfort and the activities that i want to do and same with like you know i mean when we're recording the podcast in the middle of the summer and it's 90 degrees inside and our brains are slower <laughs> uh there's sort of a type of seasonal work and seasonal respect that i want to give my life slowing down or looking inward or like this is when you tend to the crops this is when you put things in the root cellar (laughs) right uh this is when you till the fields for the next season except i don't know all those things are games yeah this is when you you (laughs) edit the document yeah Uh, this is when you roll the dice (laughs) exactly and similarly i feel like the week like the work week has its own rhythm and even though we have a Monday that is probably a lot more chill than a lot of Mondays. We've learned that like some types of work is just like a lot harder on Monday for us to get into. And so we have these rules around just like what kind of work we do on Monday and what kind of work we push until Tuesday and the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's also just like a general attitude of like recognizing where we're at when we come into a day being like, We have some rough ideas of what we want to accomplish, but we're also going to acknowledge what we feel up to and accommodate that. And that philosophy has led to a lot of days that have felt really good. And like a lot of, like, I guess we both just consistently say we're looking forward to the next Turtle Bun Workday. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Pretty cool. (laughs) cool. (laughs) Yeah, there's this thing that, you know, when we used to rock climb a lot, and I think at one point, like, you know, somebody who worked at the gym was like, oh, how was your climb today? And we were like, we both just did really badly today. It was hard. And he was like, yeah, 
It's a high gravity day, huh? And it like blew our minds. Mm-hmm. And we use that phrase a lot. Yep. To describe. Still have those high gravity days. <laughs> like even though it's not rock climbing up a wall, like some days you just feel it. You fight against it. And those are days where sometimes we'll make special time to check in with each other and like figure out what's going on. We'll put more time into like cooking something good to eat and like just caring for and restoring our mood and our state. Yeah. That's a nice thing for a job to do. It's a really nice thing for a job to do. And sometimes we'll find that we are mismatched in the energy that we're bringing to a day. And part of what we've been doing lately about that is just sort of passing off roles, being like, who's going to be the hype man today? Yeah. Which has been nice. It's nice to know that somebody is the hype man and somebody doesn't have to be. Yeah. I mean, 90% of the time you're the hype man, but (laughs) (laughs) I really like the days when it's like, I don't like the days when you're having a hard day because that's sad. But sometimes you're like, I'm sorry, like, I can't get it together today. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm the hype man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I take that role seriously and I bring it and it doesn't happen that often, but I like when it does. And you're a good hype man. I mean, I was like, what, like twice a year that I get to be the hype man, but like, bring it to a whole new level. When it happens, I really like, I bring it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I got the confetti, I got the party hats, I got the noisemakers. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this this might sound like a counterpoint to talking about sort of respecting the changing of the seasons or the changing of the you know Monday through Friday shift. But setting a routine has also been hugely important for weathering this work. Oh, yeah. I guess we've been we've been emphasizing the flexibility of our work days for accommodating changes. But that flexibility matters because it is coupled with a standard routine. Yeah, that's reliable. And that's showing up at the same time on the same days week by week. And there's a lot of benefits to that routine, both in sort of structuring our own lives and expectations, and also managing the expectations of others. Yeah. My mom calls me not as often to be like, I have a hummus that I bought at Costco. It is going to go bad in the next three hours. <laughs> you need to come over right now and eat this hummus. And I'm like, Ma, it's a Tuesday at 2 p.m. I'm working. <laughs> uh, it's helped. Yeah, it's helped us to sort of respect our time and other people to respect our time. There were years of work where there wasn't that regularity of when the work started and that ended up making it much harder to take time off from work because work was sort of always kind of happening or at least like the potential to work was kind of always there and that made it harder to say like oh i'm gonna make a commitment to do something else during this time because it always had this lingering sense of like but you're kind of playing hooky from the kind of work that might be happening on that day. Yeah. 
And you don't want to feel that on a Saturday. Right. Or if you do feel it on a Saturday, you want to know that that's like part of the schedule you've set for yourself, that you work really well on Saturdays. Right, right, right. You just don't want it to constantly be like, I mean, I know in the past, I think at some point I called myself like the gaming Papa Duke, like many episodes <laughs> ago, which is like, you know, there was this past time where you'd be like, I'm going to bed. And I would be like, games, <laughs> like hovering above you on the ceiling or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do that to anybody, myself included. I feel like we're at kind of a high point right now with dividing our time into work hours and non-work hours. Like I felt more free during weekends than ever before. <laughs> Less Baba Duked. Less Baba Duked, yeah. And you know, one thing that when we did this Kickstarter a few weeks ago, we did put in ended up putting in some additional hours. But it didn't feel like a crunch. It felt like this really normal, like, we've set such good, rigid boundaries and expectations that, like, the idea and our schedule is so manageable at this point that the idea of, like, all right, let's agree to meet Saturday morning to put in, like, an hour to hash out this paragraph that we're really struggling with because we just want to get it out of the way so we're not staring it down Monday morning. Um, right. To me, that felt reasonable, too. Me too. Me okay. Too. Yeah. <laughs> the look on your face. I didn't know. What, I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't reasonable. No, I was thinking that part of what made that possible too was just that we have become better at planning out that work and envisioning what it's going to take. You know, like when we made the decision that we we're going to do this Kickstarter in X number of weeks we really quickly came up with a structure for like, let's make an outline of everything that's going to be on the page. Let's divide those up into like what kinds of work needs to go into each of those. Let's find the stuff that's going to have to be ordered in advance and prioritize that. Like there is a complicated to-do list and prioritizing challenge that we did so well that the extra time that we did put in never felt frantic or desperate. It just felt like, okay, like with with the work on our plates, it seems like we need another work day or two. Like we need to fit in extra time here, here, and here. But we also made those decisions ahead of time. And we're like, okay, let's plan on working through this weekend. It was all just so chill. It was so chill and very accurate. Like we actually had things done on time. Yeah. And I think we're getting better at estimating time in general. I would say that's probably thanks to you. After years of me being like, I had an idea for a game, but it's just a hack. So I think we can do it in like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, first, at some point, you got really good at just saying no. Uh -huh. You're like, no, <laughs> that's how you said it. Thank you. No. Yeah, it wasn't easy for me. Uh, and then, you know, over time, I think I learned to respect also that there was no, there was nothing that happened in an hour. An hour is not a unit of time that exists. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is really healthy. Because then, you know, underestimating the time that stuff takes leads to self-belittling when it takes longer. 
And then that can happen over and over and over, and it can be very discouraging. It's like, why am I so slow and so stupid? Yeah, but that's not what this episode is about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I mean, in a certain way, it is what this episode's about to disagree. Please. Strongly. Yeah, say no. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) It's good practice. Thank you. It is what this episode's about because it is a skill in itself to be able to see and acknowledge what's going well. It can be its own kind of challenge because the reality is like all times are full of good and bad things. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's plenty going on and bad things have a way for me and for you and for probably a lot of folks of being emphasized hitting harder, you know, impacting the overall state more. And it's easier, at least for me, to sort of brush aside the things that are going well, especially like self-complementary things, where it's like, oh, did we do something well? And eh, just whatever, brush it aside. I'm not, I'm not going to be a proud boy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're practicing being a proud boy more that's right is what you're saying i'd like to announce to everyone (laughs) (laughs) i feel like sometimes you know out of the two of us i would expect myself to sort of have this like string of really like gnarly humor (laughs) sometimes i'm just like evan no (laughs) no evan yeah you know it's a little bit like learning to take a compliment right it's like learning to take a self-compliment learning to like see what's going well what you're doing well how much you've learned how far you've come for me at least that's taken effort in itself um and it's a really important part of getting through times when there's more bad stuff than good Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what to say to that. <laughs> Being able to give yourself a little credit or a little pat on the back in hard times, which a lot of times are hard times. It's a hard world right now. Mm-hmm. So it's really important. We should have mentioned Gilly. Gilly's a positive thing. Yeah, Evan's cat Gilly is in my lap right now. It's very cold in general and she's like folded up about as small as she can be she's like a perfect little walnut in my lap she's it's so cute like she's in my lap but then my arms are also around her like i've sort of like it's like i'm kind of holding her in a little basket i have not moved this whole episode both of my feet are painfully asleep she's got her little like, paw over her eyes because it's her, too bright her in here. paws over her eyes i like feel like my my feet are deeply asleep and my back is like doing some sort of weird spasm but the things that we do for animals too <laughs> Like, <laughs> Gilly has been a great addition of this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just added so much positivity to our work days. So, yeah, thank thank you, Gilly, for 
protecting your little eyes and taking care of yourself. Thank you, Evan, for being a good coworker. Thank you, Hannah, for making this work possible. You're welcome. The Design Doc intro-outro theme is written by our friend. Did I say was written? I think is you written? said is written. Was written. Either way. I think either way works. It's written by our friend, musician Pat King. Thanks, Pat. Design Doc is hosted by the OneShot Podcast Network. OneShot has tons of other great shows like All My Fantasy Children. All My Fantasy Children is brought to you by Aaron and Jeff. Each week, they take a listener-submitted prompt and, using some of their favorite tabletop RPGs, create an original fantasy character. I feel like I said some weird words there, like... RPGs or something, or <laughs> something, some, something was weird. Like, one of the words was wrong, and I don't know which one it was, but I will when I come back and edit it. Uh, and slash RPGs. <laughs> along the way, they share laughs, stories, verbal hugs, and populate a shared universe, one story at a time. The Design Doc podcast is supported entirely by our Patreon. One hundred percent. Patreon.com slash TurtleBun. For this episode, we would like to welcome new patron, Eric. Thank you for being here, Eric. Thanks for being here, Eric. Eric, you are metaphorically like a warm cat in the lap. (laughs) (laughs) You make our lives cozy and beautiful. Thanks, Eric. (laughs) This holiday season, consider giving the gift of games. Nano games. (laughs) games. Tiny, tiny little games. Tiny little games. Uh, Yeah, if you are still looking for things for the people in your life who play RPGs, I don't know who those people are. Maybe there's somebody who you think would really like playing them. Uh, We have our RPGs on turtlebun.com. All of our RPGs are $20, the big ones. We have zines, too. We have mud, a golem memoir. Uh, if you like, if you know somebody who just likes kind of like sad shit, <laughs> like they're going to eat it up. Explicit episode after all. <laughs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> I meant to mark this one. Not explicit. Sad. <laughs> <Poo-poo>. <laughs> if you know somebody who likes a sad situation, <laughs> they're just going to love Mata Golem memoir. Did I say go- Golem before? Or Golem. I think you said Golem. It's Golem. It is Golem. It's not Golem like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Just in case any of you have been saying it wrong. It's Golem. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. Golem. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we also have um, our bundles of nano games up on our website, which we will ship out to people as a gift. Uh, they make a really nice gift. Even They're for- small. They like they have a postcard back, so you can you can we could send them directly to whoever you want to give them to, or you could get them. Use them like a postcard. Mm-hmm. Season's greetings. Season's greetings. Fa la 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 la. <laughs> uh, thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Heroes. Heroes. <laughs> we always forget to say heroes. <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep it on brand. Keep it in network. Thank mm-hmm. you, heroes. We will see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>